Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. We have a guest on the podcast that will be anonymous. We won't um, talk about her name, but she will tell her story as a gay or queer Latter-day Saint. She's really brave to tell her story. She's 18. Um, She's born in Idaho. She'll be either attending BYU or BYU-Idaho in the fall, the fall of 2022, studying athletic training. And she'll tell her story, and our hope is that as you hear her story, it'll help you if you're walking this road and if you're an ally or a parent. The things my guests will share with you will be helpful for you. So it was brave just for someone to come on at age 18. I'm kind of new on this road, but I recognize more people are sort of becoming at peace with who they are and willing to share their stories with others. Uh, my guest will also link you to an Instagram that she has started. And as a support organization, I'll let her kind of define that. Is that okay for an introduction? Yeah, that's perfect. We both said a prayer this podcast to be helpful. So we'll just kind of get started. Um, I don't do a lot of housekeeping, but the way you can support this podcast is um, you can't donate. So it's not that. And um, you can't even offer to donate. It's not that either. It's just to leave a review for the podcast or... Um, we have a couple books out, both under the Listen, Learn, and Love name. One is called Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, and a new one that came out in March of 22, um, Improving Latter-day Saint Culture. So um, getting those books are at Amazon and Desert Book, sharing them with others, but also leaving a review for the books so more people connect with them. Both those books are just trying to help us create Zion create a feeling of love and support and belonging for all Latter-day Saints in our congregations as they make their way forward. So that's the only housekeeping thing, listeners. Appreciate all your support. Um, let's, we're just, I'll kind of give our listeners an overview just so before we dive in, you kind of get a roadmap of the four parts of this podcast. Um, part one will be my guests coming out. Um, and that'll be kind of part one and part two. Um, there'll be a couple sections of that. Part three would be um, a section called To All Latter-day Gays and the Rainbow Connection. I'll let my guests introduce that. That's a blog and an Instagram account, I believe, that may be helpful for you um, to connect with more people in this space and to find more support. And then part four is allyship. I love um, my LGBT guests talking about allyship and moving forward. So with that, I'll turn it over to my guest to start sharing your story. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I just want to start with, you know, growing up, I did not think I was gay. In fact, the word gay was, you know, never in my vocabulary. And I grew up in the church and, and that subject, especially when I was younger, was taboo. Um, you didn't bring it up. And if you did, it was generally negative. And so um, I think that you know, I, I didn't even have the words to express myself. Um, and a lot of uh, members of the LGBT community would probably now say that there was a time, um, in their lives when they knew that they were different. Um, and now that I look back at my childhood, there's definitely times that I look back and think, you know, the closet was kind of glass per se. Um, and so for example, I, I used to play football with the boys at recess during elementary school and, you know, these poor boys, I wasn't even that good. I just knew a lot about football and really loved playing it. Um, and as far as friends went, I only had 
um, a few friends that were girls, but definitely more guy friends. And I always told people, oh yeah, it's because I have four younger brothers. So I'm just more comfortable around guys. Um, and another thing was I, I also wore more stereotypical, you know, masculine clothing, um, sweatshirt, t-shirt, jeans every single day and anything more traditionally feminine. And I immediately was like, no way. <laughs> and all these things are sometimes seen as stereotypical gay things. And I just didn't realize it until later in life. And, and to clarify, I don't mean that if you like these things, you're gay, but this is just my experience with it. Um, freshman year was the first time the word gay ever popped into my head. Growing up in the church, like I said before, there wasn't a lot to talk about it. And so it was, and it was usually more negative if it was talked about. And so I, I really didn't have a reason to think about it until this one moment. And uh, when I was 14 and I remember it really clearly, actually, I watched a TV show where I thought the female lead was attractive and, and the next thought I thought was, am I gay? And I completely panicked. Um, that was not something I wanted in my head and I knew it was wrong. And I very firmly told myself that I was not gay. And I pushed that so far back in my head in an effort to make sure that it never appeared again. And, um, it didn't until about two years later. Um, so it wasn't until my junior year when I was 16 years old, that the same thought reappeared in my head. And I can't actually tell you what prompted it. Maybe it was because everyone was dating and I wasn't, or I'm not really sure, but again, it, it really scared me. And this time it stuck in my head and it worried me. And I began to kind of start straight training myself. Um, I tried to appear more feminine. I would curl my hair. I wore more makeup. Um, I even would try to like shopping, which I historically hated. Um, and I stopped hanging out with um, only guys and formed a group of, of girls. Um, and I had a pretty strong aversion to anything that might label me as gay. I would also actively avoid um, anything with queer representation. If I watch a TV show with a gay couple, um, I would feel a lot of shame, even if this representation was very healthy and happy, or if I saw a gay couple or pride flag in public, I would walk quickly away. Um, and my thought was, if someone saw me see that stuff, what if they thought I was okay with that? Um, and that I supported it. Um, and I think as a girl in Idaho, who's also religious, I passed pretty well straight. I never had anyone ask if I was gay at least. And so I think I did pretty good on that end with reaching my goal for that. Um, and I think a bit subconsciously, this is when I started trying to accomplish big things to try to make up for this defect I felt I had. Um, I was, and still sometimes I'm stuck in this need to be perceived as perfect or as close as I can get. It's this attempt of perfectionism and um, kind of just being seen as a good person that started, that caused a lot of my burnout and my depression and my anxiety. Um, and I, I really want to be perceived as successful and kind and just a good person. And that sounds really, really shallow, but it's honest. And so I played sports all throughout um, school. I got good grades. I actually earned my associate's degree while I was in high school. So I graduated uh, with my associate's degree before high school. And I went to church and I joined several clubs. I got my personal progress medallion in less than a year when I was 12. And I volunteer currently with Guide Dogs for the Blind. And so 
obviously I didn't do all these things just because of this need to make up for everything that I felt was wrong about me. But I think it was definitely part of it. And I felt like if I just built this resume of all these good things that if for some reason someone found out about this horrible part of me, they would take it better because they knew I was trying to be good. Um, I, I would be perceived as more trustworthy or something. And so around this time, I had a few friends, too, that were part of the LGBTQ community and um, that I knew through a volunteer opportunity I had. So somehow I became sort of a, a secret ally. Right. And I would just think of myself as a strong, straight ally. And I didn't bring myself into conversations about it. But if someone made a comment or something, I usually have something small to say back. And I still had this harmful rhetoric that sometimes comes from a religious background. So often I would repeat, you know, hate the sin, love the sinner, um, when talking about it in a religious background. Or with people who were part of the community, I'd say, well, yeah, I, I might not agree with that. But I think everyone should have the right to choose and be happy, um, however that plays out for them. Which all of these thoughts are, you know, very problematic, obviously. And I think it just came from a, a fear-based homophobia. I didn't know what to do with this issue or problem as I saw it. And so my heart felt one way and my head felt another. My, my heart was telling me that this wasn't evil or against God while my head was thinking about what I had, you know, learned at church, which was being, that being LGBTQ was, was kind of bad and that those people needed to not act on their feelings. Um, so fast forward to senior year and I had started hanging out with a new friend group and all my friends had boyfriends and I felt a little bit left out. I think I, I hadn't had a crush on a guy in a very long time and all of a sudden everybody had their person. And so I told my friends, you know, find me someone to date and they did and they introduced me to a guy and things were going good. Um, eventually we decided to date exclusively. And this is where things got a little rocky. I, I really enjoyed the companionship part and, and the friendship. However, anytime the relationship was romantic, I felt so uncomfortable. And to the point where I would avoid hanging out with him one-on-one -on -one because I knew he would probably want to, you know, kiss or cuddle or whatever. And I, I just hated it. And I would do everything I could to avoid it. I would tell him, oh, I can't hang out because of COVID or because I have work or school or lacrosse or whatever it was. And eventually he got very, you know, frustrated for bad reasons. Um, and the relationship only lasted a few months before I, I broke it off. And I think it was pretty much mutual at that point. So it wasn't a big deal there. Um, but after this relationship, I really started questioning my orientation because I couldn't even hold hands with a guy without feeling uncomfortable. And, but I thought, no, you know, it was probably just him. Maybe I just wasn't attracted to him. And around that time, I went on a couple more dates with this really great guy that I met, and he was so much fun, and I thought he was really attractive, too. And during one of our dates, I just, I stopped and thought to myself, what would I do if he kissed me right now? And that's kind of the moment where I realized it wasn't just my ex. You know, here was this guy that I thought was, you know, pretty close to perfect um, as far as high schoolers go, and I wasn't attracted to him. Honestly, it was just kind of devastating to me. It, I felt very conflicted and I didn't know how to move on from that point. And I started to kind of remove myself from my friend group and they stopped inviting me to things. And I kept busy and just pushed it to the back of my mind. Um, and that summer after I graduated, I was working three jobs and was earning money because I was going to Mexico in the fall to teach English and to travel. 
And I, I'm going to admit, I definitely felt lonely. I spent a lot of nights, you know, questioning my orientation. And I finally got to this point where I thought, you know, I, I just have to tell someone. I can't. And I was really close with one particular friend. And so I decided to text her one night. And I just said, hey, you want to go for a late night drive? Um, which is kind of code for this talk, you know. <laughs> and she said, sorry, I'm out with another friend. And that moment pushed me pretty far back into the closet. Um, but I want to be clear. I don't blame that friend. She did not do anything intentionally. Um, but in that moment, I, I needed her. And it felt like she had chosen someone else. And it had taken me a long time to feel like I could confide my fears into someone. And so when she wasn't available, I, I let that fear rise back up. And so, like I said, I just began distancing myself and, and um, you know, it hurt when they stopped inviting me to things, but I was working. So I was, I was busy. And so the whole month before I left, I, I just kept feeling like I should tell my parents. And my logic in that was that if they were devastated, like I thought they would be, they would have four months, four and a half months to get over it. And then we could all forget it by the time I got back from Mexico. Um, and I, I really struggled over that decision and I was really close to telling them, but I, in the end, I ended up chickening out and I, I never told them. Um, and so I finally get to Mexico, um, which I'd been planning on and looking forward to for about a year and a half before. And I met everyone in my group. Um, so in my group, there was, there was eight of us girls and we all shared rooms in a little house. Um, and I met everyone in my group and they were so much fun. And there was four of us who would meet in mine and my roommate's room. And we would have uh, late night talks, which was basically, we would just share stories and have deep conversations at like one in the morning. And we laughed a lot and talked a lot and I loved it. But about six days into Mexico. So I had known these girls for a total of six days. And um, my best friend from Mexico, she shared something personal. And I just made the offhanded comment that everyone has something that they're struggling with. And immediately the two girls who were in that room zeroed in on that one comment. And they were kind of like, okay, you're going to share? No one says that without having something to say. And I got super uncomfortable and I didn't really say anything for five minutes. And, and then I finally admitted it. And I said, I think I said something like, I kind of, I kind of like girls. And it was so, so stressful for me, especially sitting in this room of girls that I was going to live with for the next four and a half months. I had no idea how they would react. Um, and it was the first time that I, I actually admitted it to myself out loud. Um, and these poor girls just had that thrown on them after not even knowing me. But they took it super, super good. And my friend was like, wow, that's really hard. And really emphasized that she thought, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And suddenly I was in this new space where it was known by two other people, um, my biggest secret. The one thing that I would barely let myself think about, let alone tell people. And in, in the space, they kind of tried to help normalize it for me as, as much as they were able to. Um, so me and one of those girls that I came out to that night got super tight and she was the only one who went to church with me while I was in Mexico, actually. And we had a lot of good talks and we would sometimes go walk around the neighborhood at night and she would just say, you know, I, I would just say to her, I don't know what to do. And she was really good about it and said, pray and don't worry because God made you exactly how you are on purpose. And she was very, very validating and always knew exactly what to say to make me feel better. And I definitely think I can say now that, you know, God put her 
in that place with me so that my my coming out was good and that I could move forward. So anyways, I was just really questioning my next move a lot. And I'm I'm a planner. And so to me, I felt like I needed to have my whole life and destination planned out already. And I was at this fork in the road, right? And one night I allowed myself to try to find resources on Instagram. And I wanted to see if there was anybody who was in the same spot as me. And I ended up finding um, at Latter-day Les, which is Kate Mower somehow. I can't remember how I ended up finding them, but I, I read through all her posts and their videos and I internalized it all. They were the first person I had ever read about that was living their truth, but also were able to attend church through it all. Um, after a few days of just scrolling through between teaching English, I got up enough courage and I DM'd her. And I said something to the effect of help me. <laughs> um, not really, but I asked if they were still an active member of the church. And, and then I confided in her. And I told them I was, I was so lost. I wanted to still be a faithful member of the church, but I also wanted to live authentically. And I couldn't get past sacrificing one for the other. And after I sent that text, I was so nervous. I had never reached out to anyone about this before besides my friend in Mexico. And I didn't even know what I had hoped to hear back from her. I just wanted some sort of peace because I was so just conflicted. And they replied back after a couple hours and started with something that was really, really impactful to me. And um, they said, you're not alone and your feelings are valid. And that's all I needed to hear. And I didn't even know it. And she actually answered the rest of my questions. But I think that that first sentence was really the biggest thing to me that that was the first time I had heard those words and they actually don't know I'm the one who texted them that day because my blog is anonymous or how big of an impact that made on me. But it was just huge in the moment. Um, and anyways, after I continued to seek out resources and mostly from the church and I read a lot of talks and went on to the church's site that addresses same-sex attraction. And I'm, I'm not going to even lie or sugarcoat this reading. Some of the things that have been said by the church in the past were, were just very hurtful. And I felt a lot of pain and just very misunderstood. And I felt like it only added to my struggle to decide what path. And only because I felt like the only option they were giving me was to either marry a man or to stay single and celibate. And, that, and I didn't feel strong enough for that. So at about three months into my time in Mexico, um, some of the girls in my group were going to go get tattoos because they're really cheap there. And I had seen a tattoo that I thought was, you know, very cute. And I was like, I really want to get this. And honestly, it was, I think it was more of the symbolism more than it was for the aesthetic. It was just the word love in rainbow lettering. And I wanted to get it on the side of my finger. And I was, in my head, I was like, this is exactly what I need to show myself that I can love and accept this part of me because it was becoming too hard to just always hate it. And I felt like I needed something that was permanent that would force me to take ownership for that part of me. And I talked it out a lot with my friend and she said, you know, hey, if that's, if that's what you need to be proud, then that's what you need. And she tried really hard to not be prescriptive about it especially because she could only draw from her own experiences and she didn't have the same as me and I I still couldn't decide and so I texted my 
best friend who's also my cousin and told her I was thinking about getting a tattoo. Um, but I, I wasn't sure. And she asked what it was of. And I <laughs> kind of danced around the question because I was nervous and I didn't know if I was ready to tell her. And I finally sent it and said, you know, this is what I'm thinking. And she replied and said, that's super cute. Um, except don't do it rainbow because of the whole LGBTQ thing. And that was super awkward for me because I was like, I built up all of this fear about what she would say. And then she completely missed the fact that I was coming out to her. <laughs> and so I waited a few hours because um, I was actually teaching English. It was in the middle of the day. And I said, yeah, that's kind of the point. And I wrote this super just long paragraph um, where I was like, I'm so sorry if this changes things between us. And just basically apologize for my existence. Um, and she responded back and was like, nothing could ever change things between us. And I love you so much. And call me later when you're not busy. And it was such a relief to, to finally tell her. And we're super tight and we share everything with each other. And so I had just been so nervous and ashamed of myself that I couldn't bring her, myself to tell her about it before. And I pulled her after teaching and we talked it out a lot that night. And the conclusion she came to was, you know, if I thought I was ready to be out to the world, then I, like including my parents um, and this tattoo felt right to me, then I should get it. Um, but if I even thought a little bit that I wasn't ready, then I shouldn't because tattoos are permanent. And I thought more and more about it and kind of wrestled with it. And I finally set up an appointment. Um, and I thought by making this appointment, I would just be done with it. So I didn't have to worry about this decision anymore. It was made, it was over. Um, but even after setting it up, I just couldn't get it off my mind. And I was so just stressed about it and worried about, you know, what would happen after. And I kind of just took that as a sign that I maybe wasn't ready for that, or that's not what I really wanted. And that I was using a tattoo as a way to cope. And so um, two days before my appointment, I texted the guy and I said, you know, sorry, uh, something came up. I'm, I'm not able to make it. And, but, and so I, I never got the tattoo. And I think that was good because I was not as ready as I thought I was. And also, like, especially with something that we've been directed not to do by church leaders, that probably wasn't the right like, thing to use as, as coping. Um, so I never got the tattoo and I don't regret it. I think that I made the right decision on that. Um, but it was a, it was kind of a weird moment for me as far as I had never tried to do something that I knew wasn't what, what I had been directed to do. And so I think that was the moment where I decided, okay, I've got to figure out something else. Um, and I began trying to form my own opinions about where I thought my life should go. And I didn't want to throw everything um, that I'd ever learned about church, but I still wasn't sure how I could make my orientation and my faith work together. And I just tried to gather all the information and decided that no matter what, I would just push through, marry a guy and live happily ever after. And I was going to follow God no matter what I thought. And I would never tell anyone else and it would never become a problem. And maybe if I was just good enough, God would create that attraction between me and my future boyfriend or husband. And that was my thought process for a while. And the all or nothing mindset that I had adopted at that point was just so harmful to my progress. I was restricting my agency without even realizing it. And it was causing so much confusion and sadness. And 
I think that sometimes as you know, saints, we, we think, okay, you can't just pick and choose, but sometimes in order to, to build your faith, there is a little bit of picking and choosing. There is a little bit of nuance to the gospel because it is personal. And so at that moment, really, I, I hadn't even realized that. And I thought, well, either I'm staying in the church and I am completely disregarding my orientation and my identity, or I am going to leave the church and I am going to live in my, you know, my I don't know, my gay lifestyle, my best dream, right? And so um, that's kind of just like part one of my coming out story. Um, Wow, that was a terrific segment. Um, One of the advantages, listeners, about talking to someone at age 18 is you can go a little bit deeper into their story. And one of the things I recognize is how much work you've done at this point in your life. Um to sort of get this internalized homophobia out of you and have people that are supportive of you. You said some really wonderful things that I wrote down, like I did big things to make up for this deficit. Some of this language you just spontaneously use, but it helps listeners understand that obviously you looked at your sexual orientation as a deficit. So I noticed that some people then sort of become hyper-religious or sort of over the top. Um, and some of that's an escape as you kind of inferred from the reality of what's going on in your life and the distance that can be pretty difficult. And I think you've done a really good job of being vulnerable and coming out. I like the story of the tattoo. Um, I generally, um, it's sort of a principle that I invite listeners to kind of you know, I'm not ne- necessarily inviting everybody not to have a tattoo, but I just do it when you're really sure about that. You're sure about who you are. You're sure about what road you're going to take. Um, and just decide sort of the reasons you're getting a tattoo and the long run view of that. Um, and I just think you did a good job of sort of navigating that. That's not a hard invitation for no one to get a tattoo or everybody to get a tattoo. I just like the way you talked about that. And I think one of the things I like to invite listeners to do, especially those that are in their teens, is to hear all these stories. And and then you don't really have to come to a fork in the road until your 20s or maybe early 30s of exactly, you're aware of these forks in the road, very much so, and you're talking about them. And it's the reality of your life. But in some ways, you don't really need to sort of take the fork in the road. And it's an invitation just to become the very best person you can be. Um, before you kind of know your path forward. But I also like the way you felt almost more relieved if you kept all the forks in the road open to you. Um, as And I think that's okay as you're just making your way forward and just know that all of those options are available to you. And so anyway, those are just some of my thoughts, listeners, as you're hearing this story. But just you've done such a great job. So um, take, take us to part two. You've, and just recognize, listeners, what this woman has done. She, you know, got her associates in high school. She's off in Mexico teaching English. Um, You know, you haven't said this, but I think, I hope listeners are gathering. This is a pretty strong, you know, motivated sort of service oriented person that's doing a lot to help people in the middle of her own story. So respect for you and the life you're living at a very young age and the good things you're doing. So, Let's do part two. You're coming home from Mexico. All right. Thank you. Um, 
So I, you know, I got home from Mexico right before Christmas and I was so, so, so excited to see my family. Um, Mexico was my first time away from home. And so, you know, by this time between the holidays, I was, I was pretty homesick and just ready to be home. And I got home and immediately decided that I was never going to come out to my parents. Um, before I had left Mexico, my friend and I, we had talked about it and um, and she was kind of like, are you going to tell them? And I, I had gotten to a pretty good place mentally while I was in Mexico because by the time I left, um, everyone in my group knew because of the tattoo situation. Um, and so I didn't have to hide myself anymore and I was feeling really good. But when I got home, I just couldn't bring myself to tell them. Um, I, I didn't want to change things between us because I had missed them so much and I didn't want to create this awkwardness and, and lose those certain parts of my relationship that were easy with them and so um but when I got back I had about a month of no job um so I had quite a bit of time to just sit in my feelings and I think that's when the depression really set in because in my head I had given myself two options I could choose myself or I could choose church and God and I was really wrecked with this decision um, that I thought I had to make. And I was, I was still attending church, um, and everything and, you know, doing family scripture study and praying, but even that was just affecting me so much. I couldn't figure out what to do because even though I had made a decision in Mexico, it still didn't sit right with me. And there, there was a point where I had to kind of push God out of my mind because even the thought of him was so painful. And it's interesting because I hear a lot of about um, other queer individuals thinking that God didn't love them, but I didn't have that experience. What I thought was that God was just really disappointed in me. I thought that, you know, if I had even tried to accept this part of me, that he was just sitting in heaven, you know, shaking his head. Like he had given me this burden or cross to endure and in my trial in life, but that being okay with it, um, I was, I was feeling the test and I would cry because I thought I'm just not strong enough to do your will. And I thought the only path for me was to be single and celibate or to marry a man. And I just, I, I didn't feel strong enough. I felt like that was too much to be asked of me because that, that was just impossible. And um, I actually wrote a blog post about it. And if it's okay with you, I'll just read it because it says Please it better do. than I could have to articulate now. And I titled it um, On the Edge of Heaven and Hell because that really represented where I thought I was at. Um, and it says... I was standing on the edge of heaven and hell. I was standing on the very edge, being pushed off by some invisible force. My very identity was slowly forcing me to stare at the gaping abyss. I was certain that even the small action of even questioning if I was gay would send me toppling over the edge and straight down to hell. I talked to God, but the sky seemed empty. This isn't fair. And I asked a thousand whys. All my questions, all my doubts, all my fears were answered with what I perceived as silence. Between the anger, there was heartbreak and disbelief when I realized I was attracted to girls. This can't be real. This can't be my reality. But this nightmare brief was reality. And the reality was that I felt like my identity was the very thing that was sending me to hell, despite me clawing desperately towards heaven. So there I stood, alone, on the very urge of collapsing. I doubted God wanted me in heaven. I doubted that I was even good enough for heaven. My doubt saw the obstacles. It saw the darkest night. My doubts created dread to take the next step. Doubt questioned, how can I and why should I? And with all these doubts, I created mountains that only faith could get me over. And I'll read the rest of the post later because it shows a little bit of my growth. But at this point in the story, 
that's how I felt. And that's where I was at. And, you know, it was just really hard. Um, and my parents even started noticing it because they would tell me to come hang out with the family and to not just sit in my room. And they didn't understand what was happening, obviously, because I hadn't come out to them yet, but they could just tell that there was a shift. And, you know, at like this point, I, I don't want to say I was suicidal because that's not accurate. But in my head, I was, I was like, well, if I got cancer or if I just got hit by a car and killed, it wouldn't be such a big deal because then everything would work out in heaven and I won't have to deal with this here anymore. Um, and every night I would text my cousin and my friend from Mexico who she was actually um, in California getting ready for her mission. And I would just say, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm filled with so much shame and I want to live for me, but also for God. And how can I do that? And they really tried to work through it with me, but my anxiety and depression just escalated and I couldn't get out of my own head. I didn't have friends at home to talk with because I had lost touch with them while I was in Mexico. And so it was really just me sitting with my own thoughts for the most part. And um, there's a few thoughts I remember having. And, and one of them that was recurring was I didn't want my siblings to think that it was okay to be gay or to act on it. I'm the oldest of six kids. And I really resisted coming out because I felt like if I had made the decision for myself to um, date girls or to leave the church or whatever it was, that I didn't want my siblings to think that it was okay and to take that decision as okay for them. Um, and I wanted to be a good example for them because at that point I felt like all the church was telling me was being gay is not okay. And I, I really thought by coming out to them, I'd put them in a situation where they were choosing between, you know, me and the church and what they thought it was right or what they were told was right. But, um, so and obviously now I don't think that it's a bad thing. Um, but in my mind at the time, I was very, very worried about setting a good example for them. Um, and another thought I kept having was actually a few lines of a song that I had been listening to on replay, kind of as therapy and not a good therapy because of the message of the song. It's not really good, but it was relatable to me in this moment. And the first line that really struck me was, I'm mad at God. He won't take my calls, so I'll make my own way home. And the other line I really related to was, and maybe if my family could take the time to talk to me instead of being on your side, I give it up because I've had enough. And obviously it turned out that my parents were on my side the whole time and God was trying to help me. But, you know, in this small moment, I, I felt so alone and these lyrics felt so true. And I thought God had left me to deal with this mess of a life on my own. And I knew my parents had strong testimonies of the gospel. And so I was really afraid that they would just expect me to try to be straight or to try to be celibate and single the rest of my life. And, and I think that this is as close as I ever got to an anger period, which isn't that much anger since it was mostly, you know, concerts in my car, but that's probably as close as I got to it. Um, but luckily, you know, as, um, about a month after I got home, I started my new job. Um, and it's really good. I really love my job. Um, I'm a physical therapy aide at a hospital and it helped with containing my negative self-talk a lot because it kept me busy. Um, and during this time, I, I just decided to really throw myself into God and the church and the scriptures. And I put 110% into it because I figured, you know, if anything had helped, it would be creating a close relationship with God. And I, I started reevaluating why I was going to church. Was it because I wanted friends or because it was what I was expected of me? Or was it because I loved God? And, and that was the big question I had. And similarly is, you know, my faith based on, on spiritual experiences or earthly people and things. And um, that was huge in my mind as far as deciding where I should go next. 
And around that same time, you know, that I started working my new job, I found, you know, the questions from the closet podcast and I was absolutely hooked. It was everything to me. I related to what they were saying so much and they knew exactly how it felt. And it was really freeing to hear myself and others. And I listened to an episode on the way to work and then another on the way home. And I listened to both Charlie and Ben's books and I started listening to your podcast and I was feeling so much better because they helped me realize that I didn't have to choose myself or church, but I could choose both. It wasn't an either or situation like I had originally thought. And that's when I started writing down my feelings. I've always loved writing. And so that's what I turned to. And I didn't want to write it down on paper because I was worried people would find it. And so I started an anonymous blog. And it was solely for me. I just used it as a way to sort through my thoughts and where I was at. And no one read it. So I wasn't worried about it being too personal. Um, So it really is my authentic thoughts and feelings. And I read on it for about a month. And then I made an Instagram. And I really can't tell you why I made an Instagram, especially since I didn't want anyone to read my blog. But I I made one and I called it To All the Latter-day Gays. Um, And it was completely anonymous. So I just posted my blog onto it. And I had no intention of growing it. I was just writing things down. And I guess I was creating a path for others to read it if they by chance found it. And um, again, I just like to read one of my posts um, that one that I guess are my feelings as I started this blog. Um, and it says, Dear God, I'm doing the best I can. My heart is hurting. It feels weak, exhausted, and conflicted. It feels useless, tainted, and left behind. It's hurting from all the wear and tear, and I can't stop it. It seems as though I have a million love languages, a million ways I am able to receive love and have appreciation for all things. I desire to feel wanted, needed, and appreciated as much as anyone does. I desire to share the depths of my heart and emotions with someone I love. I wear my heart on my sleeve. Sometimes, though, it feels that all I have are boundaries and limits. My heart hurts so much. I try to believe there is something far greater for me that can take away all the self-doubt and shame. But God, I can't help but wonder why it never seems like enough. It's not only the rejection I fear, it's the fear of giving and sharing, the fear of loving something unconditionally and with passion, even if it's wrong for me. I want to not lose hope that there's an all-consuming destiny that is meant to be mine. I want to not feel shame for sharing my love, happiness, gratitude, and my identity. I want to not be afraid to be vulnerable and to give everything my all because that's what someone in the world deserves from me. But that's the key word in all of it, isn't it? What about me? What do I deserve? Dear God, I deserve to feel loved in my heart, feel the love in my heart the way I choose to give it. I deserve to feel inspired to share my experiences and give back. I deserve to spread overwhelming amount of kindness and compassion that's in my heart with the world around me. Most of all, I deserve to be patient, to trust that you are an all-consuming destiny ready for me when I'm ready for it. My love, my heart, my faith, my identity. It's messy, but it's real. It's tragic, but it's magical. It's confusing, but exciting. I get it. I haven't exactly made it easy for myself, but you continue to stay by my side, healing my heart when I feel the most defeated. You hold my hand, carry me, and teach me that my biggest challenges are my greatest lessons. So thank you. Thank you for loving a sinner like me. Thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me so that I may have eternal life. Thank you for choosing me and never giving up on me, no matter the choices I have made. Thank you for the trials I have experienced because they have shaped me into the woman I am today. Thank you for being understanding, loving, and accepting regardless of what I do. I have no doubt in my mind you exist because I would not have made it this far without you guys. So God, this is me leaving my heart in your hands. 
I understand it may take time. I understand if I have to be patient and I will wait. But when you feel my heart is ready, I will be here. Love your gay daughter here on earth. That's great. That is just terrific. Um, just keep telling your story. Um, you are a great writer and a great communicator. You have wonderful gifts. So keep telling your story. Thank you. Well, tell people so, where they can um, find this. We'll, listeners, we'll link to this Instagram post in the show notes. And you've mentioned what it's called. So that'll be covered. So more people connect with your Instagram account and the blog. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So um, eventually, you know, this blog grew to about 90 people. And I, I was like amazed because I was like, why would anyone want to read this? I felt so unqualified to be sharing any of my story and holding this space that I was in. And I, I began praying to God um, at that moment, asking to help me to know what I could do to help others with my journey and story. And every day, almost I would just continue writing my feelings down and I would post them and, you know, nothing exciting or groundbreaking, just my thoughts. <laughs> um, but one day I was thinking about, you know, how, how can I deconstruct the shame that so many um, queer individuals feel? And this shame was what had led me to hide myself and, and had created this anxiety. And so the thought that kept coming back to me was, you know, the opposite of shame is connection. And I had the prompting to start kind of a pen pal project. And I, I felt I need to connect people. And first of all, I was kind of like, well, this is kind of a stupid idea. What can I do with 90 people, you know? But it, eventually it popped into my head enough that I posted it on my Instagram. And, and that was the birth of what I call the Rainbow Connection Project. And it's, I just said, you know, I'm starting something new that I'm calling the Rainbow Connection Project. And I said, I'm, I'm creating a way to build connections. I invite all queer individuals, allies, family members, um, and, you know, anyone else who wants to be involved. This project will create opportunities to build understanding and to create spaces where LGBTQ plus individuals feel seen and heard. And in this way, the world becomes, you know, more inclusive and more closely follows the second commandment, which is to love thy neighbor as thyself. And I got a few DMs from people who were already following me and, you know, they were excited and said, you know, hey, I love this. Count me in. And I had about five people respond before some bigger accounts saw it and, um, and started sharing it. And immediately I, it blew up. And I think it had about 170 shares and 90 saves, which is not that much, but it was big for me. I was like, why? That's great. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. And so um, the DMs just start flooding in. And I think I've gotten about 200 DMs from people and not just in Utah or Idaho, but you know, some people who said they were from New Zealand and Scotland and the Philippines. And I was just so overwhelmed and I felt so unqualified and was, you know, experiencing a bit of imposter syndrome with this. And I wasn't even out to my parents at this point. Um, and so I thought, you know, who am I to tell people to love this part of themselves when I can't? But I got so many supportive messages and I continued to match people. And I just wanted to share some of the messages I got from people. Um, and one said, I'm a straight cisgender Latter-day Saint. There are LGBTQ plus people in my life that I love dearly. And I'm trying to better educate myself along these lines. Um, another said, I'd love to be a pen pal. I'm a progressive, nuanced Mormon grandma who has a bi daughter. I'm here to love, period. And I think one of my favorite was actually someone who said, I would love to participate. This is wonderful. I really desire to be an ally to my LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters and have not been sure how. 
I don't personally know anyone, or at least I'm unaware. So this is great. This is an answer to a continuous prayer and prompting. Um, and this is actually where the podcast comes in. I had messaged you and I said, Hey, if you wouldn't mind sharing this, um, so that more people can be involved, you know, here it is. And you said, sorry, I can't share, but would you like to be on my podcast? And I panicked and then said, yes. Um, but, and, you know, after I said, yes, I, I started stressing out even more because suddenly it was becoming public and I, I wasn't used to the space. Um, and I was still very much, you know, experiencing this internalized homophobia despite starting this blog and pen pal project. And, you know, it's, it's easier for me to love others sometimes than myself. And so, you know, I can be very supportive of other people's identities, but when it comes to mine, sometimes I, I'm not in the same space, you know? Um, so I continued getting messages from people days later, um, whether as an ally or as a member of the community. And I, I had thought that only maybe 10 or 15 people were going to DM me total. So this completely blew my expectations out of the water. Um, and one thing I wanted to note was that more allies responded than um, queer individuals. And I don't know why, but I didn't think there was going to be very many allies, especially in this religious space. Um, and so I was absolutely amazed. And so many allies were just responded and were so willing to learn and create the space where queer individuals could share their stories. Um, but, you know, all of that would have been amazing enough. But of course, you know, God hands out miracles all the time. So um, the week that this happened, I also went to the temple with one of my friends who I just come out to and we were sitting in the car and I was just telling her, I would never come out to our ward because <laughs> they're so judgmental and I could never tell them about any of this. And I was just, you know, expressing my frustration um, and she was agreeing with me. And, and so that was on a Thursday night. And then Sunday I was called in by the Bishop and given the pulling of a young woman advisor. And this was super exciting to me because I really love working with the young one. I mean, I'm barely out of young ones myself, but I just felt really, really good about going back as a leader. Um, but as I was sitting there and got sustained in sacrament meeting, I had one thought pop into my mind and it was, you know, if these parents knew, um, you know, the parents of the girls I was going to work with knew I was gay, would they really sustain? Me? And I think that just hit really hard. I was just back in this pit of self-doubt, um, which I had spent all this time building, um, trying to build myself back up. And so that was hard to be thinking about. And um, that day was actually testimony meeting as well. And every single person who bore their testimony that day about how everyone belongs in God's church and in that ward. And they also emphasize that God is mindful of us. And literally every single person talked about that. Um, and my friend who I just gone to temple with, we're in the same ward and we just texted back and forth and we said, wow, like God really do does love us. And I was like, he's, he's out here humbling me. I was complaining about this ward and how um, they weren't, you know, here for me, but they have just, you know, proven he is, they've stood up and said that everyone belongs. And so just for my one prayer to God to be able to help others, I got called into Young Women's. I created my blog and my Instagram. I started the Rainbow Connection Project. And I'm able to share my story on this podcast. And it's so wild to me because even after all of that, he still came back and told me during testimony that he loves and is aware of me. And so I just wanted to finish my blog post that I was reading earlier um, because it lines up with where I was at this point in my story. Um, so it says the moment I was knocked down is the moment that counted. And the moment that I had lost myself was the moment I was found. I could see the world much clearer with my eyes filled with tears. 
I discovered that the only way to not be afraid was to learn to face my doubts and fears. I was not really afraid of the dark. I was afraid of the lack of light. And it was a fear of falling when I said I was scared of heights. The only reason I knew I was sad was because I had been happy before. I said the world was an ugly place, but I was only seeing the view from the edge of the tour. And so I left my worries by the shoreline and ran my bare feet over the sand. God lifted me from the edge like he lifted Joseph out of prison and Daniel out of the lion's den. The rough dirt beneath me became a soft bed. And when I could not bear to stand, I made friends with the flying seagulls. I held the sun up on my palm before I ducked beneath the water where the world was mute and calm. I told the fish all my problems as they swam past. And when my lungs were close to bursting, I swam above the waves and gasped. I let the water hold my sadness and wash it right out to sea. So like a message in a bottle, all my worries were set free. And even though I thought the sea below was hell, I found it was just the edge of my faith. For how else do you suppose the color of the ocean became so pastel? As I sank to my knees at my metaphorical cliff that day, looking down at the sea, I saw a rainbow in heaven. And the Holy Ghost began working on me from the inside out to make me the woman that God designed me to be. And I found that my orientation had the opposite effect of what I had thought. It was actually pushing me towards heaven. So anyways, I was really excited by the blog and everything. So I, I finally texted my cousin and was like, hey, by the way, I started a blog, all this happened and she freaked out. And then she brought up something that, you know, really stopped me in my tracks. And she said, you have to tell your parents now because they want more than anything to be part of your life. And I was really terrified if I was being honest, because I, I knew she was right. And it wasn't that I thought that they wouldn't love me anymore, but I just didn't want to hurt them. And I didn't want to change my relationship with them. And also um, up to this point, I thought a lot about it and I was trying to be intentional about how I wanted to come out to them. I didn't want to come out as an apology because that would set the tone of how they would receive the news. And I really wanted to approach it as a good thing and as a celebration. And up until the Rainbow Connection Project, I just didn't feel like celebrating it. I, I was still drowning in internalized homophobia and fear. So one night, my friend invited me to go to mission prep with her. And after mission prep, I just felt so strongly that I needed to tell my parents. And I don't know how to explain the feeling um, of needing to come out except for just, you know, a burning in your chest. And I knew it was time because when I thought about telling them, I, I was nervous, definitely. but in a good way. And, and before, when I would think about it, I felt like I couldn't breathe. And so I, I definitely knew I was making progress. And so that night I just asked my mom to talk. Um, and I just told her and I showed her everything. And of course she was emotional. And I think she really just didn't know what to do with this new information. And I told her, I, I knew it was difficult and, um, but I really was okay. And that I know that God loves me and that she can ask all the questions she needed to. And I went to my dad right after as well. And he was really good about it. Um, but I also wanted to give my parents space to grieve because it had taken me 18 years to get to this point, and And there was a lot of grieving. I wanted to give them that same opportunity. And so that conversation that night wasn't long by any means, but I gave them some things to think about and to come back with some questions if they had any. And I really want to give them credit because they have been so supportive throughout this whole thing. And my dad even came to me a few days after and said, you know, who do you want to know about this? And if questions are asked, what would you like us to say? And that was huge for me because it allowed me to control the narrative a bit. Um, I just told him that right now I felt like I needed to keep it on a need to know basis, but I thanked him for putting the ball in my court and not telling anyone without my permission. And my mom has been super great too. Um, and I know she really struggled with it at first because as a parent, she had created this vision of how she'd hoped my future would be. And I changed that a lot for her by coming out and 
but she's been listening to podcasts and books and has really just been trying to educate herself. And I super appreciate both of them because I don't know what I would have done without their support. Um, so, you know, we're pretty much cut up to present day. I continue writing in the blog and creating space um, for others to share stories. And I think the biggest thing um, to have come from this is a relationship with God. I have always believed in God, um, but this is different. It's, it's like I don't have an overwhelming sense of fear anymore because I trust God to take me where I need to be. He has never let me down. And so I continue to just hold on to this knowledge that um, I have that he's watching me and, and he's, he's directing me. Um, and I also, I just wanted to say is, you know, I'm just one of many that's in this space. I don't want to be a poster child for any of it because everything God has told me to do is personal. What works for me may not work for everybody else. And that's one of the reasons I chose to make my blog and this podcast anonymous. Um, one is so I can control the narrative around my story, obviously, but the bigger reason is because it doesn't matter who I am. I could be your neighbor, your sibling your friend, your cousin, your child, your student, your classmate. I'm just one of many people who are going through this every day. And I don't want this to be about me because it's not about me. It's about us. Um, and I just also wanted to give space to the people who don't have a support system or who don't feel like churches for that. It's okay to have a different path. You will end up exactly where you need to be if you listen to where you're at. Because in the end, you know what's best for you. That's a, just a terrific segment on behalf of everybody who's listening that want to jump through their headphones and give you a big hug. Thank you for that segment. We're not done yet, listeners, but I think we just need to thank my guests for that segment and this whole podcast so far. I don't know if your parents listen to this, but I think it's um, a tremendous credit to your parents for the daughter they've raised and the principles that are present in your home that have allowed your daughter to, and some of this she had to do on her own, but I think it's a credit to you as parents for the gospel principles that are present in your home that allowed your daughter and church leaders and our doctrine and God to get into this space. So I think it's a beautiful family love story. And your sensitivity to others is remarkable. You have your own story to tell, and you're doing a great job of that. But what you said to your parents knowing they need time and you've been on this road a long time and they need time to grieve. You're right. There are expectations and hopes for you. Um, but I love the things you pointed out that they did that were great and their efforts. And that was just, I think that's one of your finest family moments. I don't know your family. I don't know all the good moments in your family, but I think that was an incredible family moment. And I just think it's kind of ironic that you went to mission prep and that's the impetus, if that's a word I make up words sometimes, um, to then go talk to your parents. You've been deeply led by the Spirit on this. There's no question in um, just your journey. But where you are at 18, as you know, in prior generations, it's taken decades for people to get where you are. And um, I, I think that's an improvement in society. It's an improvement in you have community, you have vocabulary, but it's also, I think we've saved some of the best for the last days, listeners. And this guest on the podcast today is helping us create Zion. Um, and just your thoughtfulness and your understanding is very, very helpful. Your grace for people walking slightly different roads um, is very helpful also. 
So that's just a terrific segment. I also think you're in the early chapters of helping in this space. I think that's part of your life mission. You have your own story to write, but you're going to help a lot of other people. And you're already doing that with your Instagram account that we'll link to in the podcast with doing this podcast that 20 or 30,000 people are going to listen to. Um, But I think you'll continue to be in this space to help others. I think you have a really mature, thoughtful, helpful voice. Um, And people, as you know, need voices. So I don't want to like put pressure on you or predict your future. That's not my job as a podcast host, but I don't think this will be the last thing you do is this blog and this and this Instagram and this podcast. I think line upon line, more opportunities will happen for you. Um, so anyway, that's just a great segment. Talk about in this last segment, allyship and moving forward. Okay, yeah. Um, thank you. So yeah, this next session, like you said, I just wanted to talk about allyship because I think that a lot of allies don't know how to help. And because queer individuals are the minority, many times, you know, we only have space because of allies making that space. So the first thing I wanted to bring attention to is, you know, harmful rhetoric that's often repeated. And this includes hate the sin, love the sinner, you know, everything will work out in heaven. It's just a phase. Um, and referring to someone's orientation as a preference or a lifestyle. And all these things are incredibly hurtful and problematic for several reasons. Um, but, and another one that I think is more specific um, is, I hear this a lot. People will say to me, I just can't imagine how hard of a trial that would be. And yes, it's really, really hard. But the trial isn't um, being gay for me. The tr- for me, the trial is when people are homophobic or judgmental. And so when people approach me saying that my identity is the trial, it, it can hurt and it creates a lot of um, internalized homophobia and brings up a lot of feelings that I had of shame and fear. Um, and also another one is, you know, never use the, t- the term gay as uh, derogatory, um, as in, you know, that's so gay. Words matter. We hear them, they hurt. <laughs> um, and that's super common. I hear people say that all the time. That's so gay. And you're letting others know that you think being gay is negative and people internalize that. I know all the time I would pick up on things that, you know, maybe straight people wouldn't hear because I was listening. I could hear it. I was already sensitive to that. And so even if you think people aren't hearing it, they are and, and they notice. Um, and I wanted to note real too, I think that a lot of allies worry about saying the wrong thing. But I think that most often, if you're trying to say something that's based on love, it can't go wrong. If the queer individual knows that you are genuinely trying to be an ally and to support them, then 100%, they will be more understanding in most cases, right? Um, and then the next thing I think is huge is to educate yourself. Um, understanding is only brought by education and hearing about the experiences of others. You know, it's a fantastic to ask a queer individual's questions about their experience. But I also wanted to say that Sometimes it unfairly burdens them with emotional and cognitive labor. And, you know, an ally takes time to read, to listen, to watch, and to deepen their understanding first. Um, and to recognize that members of an underrepresented um, represented group won't all have the same experiences, um, especially if they're from different places. You know, for example, a cisgender queer woman won't have the same experience as a, a trans individual. And so talk to many and and really be attuned to their unique experiences and their intersectional identities. Um, another thing that I've been asked is, you know, how can I show that I'm a safe space? And this really can be as simple as, you know, a pride pin on your backpack. It can be a little flag by your door. 
it can be using inclusive language. Um, if you suspect someone may be part of the queer community, then you can share something very general and supportive that lets them know you're safe, you know, should they choose to share that part of them with you. And another really easy thing to do is to add your pronouns to your social media pages or at the end of your emails. It's so simple, but to me, it signals allyship. When I see people, um, you know, with their pronouns or pythons or pins, I automatically feel safer with them, even if I don't know them. I know that that person won't judge me based on my orientation and is proud to be a safe space. And it's, it's so small, but so big to many of us. Um, let's see this next one. It, it might just be me, but I, I think it's big. So to me, when an ally tries to act like they understand um, my experience, it makes me feel sometimes like my experience doesn't matter. And, and let me explain that a little bit. Let's say someone um, share, I, that I share something that as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, I deal with on a daily basis. If an ally automatically says, I know how you feel because when this, and it's the same as your experience, it makes me feel like my experience isn't being validated. And most of the time when I'm sharing something that's hard for me to experience, I, I don't need allies to relate to me. It's enough to say that must be really hard for you and to sit with that person in their pain. And, and certainly sympathize, but don't try to empathize if you've not been in that position. And lots of people don't realize that. And so I just wanted to bring that up as kind of a, a caution, you know, sympathize, but don't empathize if you're not in that spot. Um, and so when a person comes out to you, I think for me, there's two things that allies can do to be really helpful to this person. Uh, coming out is a big, big deal. I used to have a panic attack every time I thought about it. And so you know, if someone comes to you and says, I'm gay or I'm trans or I'm experiencing same sex attraction or however they feel they need to put it, there's two big things you can do in my opinion. And one is you need to let them know that you love them and that nothing has changed. I had a big fear of changing relationships and how others perceived me. And it was huge when someone told me that, you know, nothing had changed. And two, that you trust them to make the right decision for themselves. This individual has likely spent a lot of time introspecting and they know what they feel comfortable with. Let them know that you value their experience and that in the end, you trust them to make the choices that will make them happy. And, you know, even more as I've studied, I've really been struck by this realization that Jesus was killed for who he included, not who he excluded. And I believe that so strongly. To me, it seems that you know, as Christians and as members of the church, we should be the very best at including others and loving them. It's been spoken in conference talks and in scriptures a million times. And it's, it's pretty clear, you know, you love your neighbors as yourself. And it doesn't say only love them if they believe the same as you or talk the same as you or have the same orientation as you. Um, it says love thy neighbor. And, and Jesus did not hesitate to love and serve others. Um, as far as, you know, moving forward in the church, I would really love to see for the church to open up conversations about the LGBTQ plus community. Um, we seem to be de deconstructing the shame around, you know, mental health, pornography, and other areas. But this is one area where I haven't heard much directly from the church, at least in the area where I live. Um, I hear a lot from those who are part of the community who are trying to start that conversation, but not from um, the leaders in the church. And again, that might just be my, my experience and in my area. But how amazing would it be able to have that conversation in Sunday school or in young women's or young men's? We could break down this barrier that creates the us versus them mentality that there seems to be. And so, so why are we not starting that kind of thing? 
Um, and so those are just some of my ideas and how to be a good ally and how to move forward. Um, and I just, I want those of you who are listening to know that there's always a place for you and, and there's a place for the broken you. There's a place for the messy you. There's a place for the you that just wants to choose the right. There's a place for the sinner. There's a place for the lonely. There's, there's a place for you. You belong and you always have, and you always will. And not because I say so, but simply because you do. You were created here in this universe exactly as you are. No questions asked. You're wonderful and you're welcomed and celebrated with no modifications necessary. And sometimes you may feel that, you know, the world is telling you that you have to change things about yourself to fit in and to be accepted. But your worth is innate and you always have value no matter your circumstances, past, present or future. So, you know, let's be welcoming to each other. Let's include each other. And we all have more in common than not. But these differences are by no means a bad thing. There's what makes us special and unique. Um, we all belong and we all have something to offer. And nobody can do what you can do quite like you do it. You add value to the world. And it basically, it comes down to this. I, I can't promise that everyone will be kind and full of love. But I, I can promise that there's a place for you. And that place for you is right next to the Savior in building Zion. That's just a terrific segment. Um, you are, sometimes I meet somebody that's way different than my age, um, but I get the impression you're a pretty mature old spirit. I don't know if anybody's told you that. I'm four decades older than you, but you're a pretty mature spirit. Um, pretty you. old soul. And I mean that as a compliment for um, the things you've shared, your deep spiritual understanding, the, the ability to talk about shame in such a, a way that eliminates that. It's one of the gifts you've given to listeners today that feel shame is you've taken a lot of shame out of people. That's a great gift. It's one of the greatest gifts, I think, of understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ and Christ's ministry and to be able to do that in a pragmatic, real way that you've just done is a wonderful part of your ministry. Um, I love the pronoun suggestion. I've had a few full-time missionaries message me and say, how do I, my zone leaders won't let me put the pride flag in my profile. Um, what can I do? And they do, this suggestion was the very thing you suggested, put your pronouns in your Facebook profile or wherever. And that means a lot to investigators, to fellow missionaries, to people in your congregation. I'd invite us not to look at that as a political statement, but an act of love, an act of signifying just the way Jesus did in his ministry that you're a safe person. So let's don't polarize people putting pronouns and look look at the intent behind that. And it's just as you described. Um, I love your suggestion, create conversation at church. We need to learn how to do that. We often talk about LGBTQ members without talking directly to them. It's one of the things somebody else taught me is we sort of talk about them um, as if third person is the right language, but we need to learn to talk to them as if, because they are in our own families and our own congregations. And and if we look at it that way, then our conversations significantly change because we're talking about our own brothers and sisters. And um, listeners will put in the show notes a Facebook group we started about a year ago and the Facebook group is just called Ministering to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And it's, it's queer people, LGBTQ people, and allies all across the world, really, but mostly in North America that are sort of brainstorming what they're doing in their areas so no one's 
everybody's just not starting from scratch. There's support groups, there's lessons, there's ally nights, there's different things that people are doing um, to create conversation within the church. And the, maybe one of the beauties of that group is people are seeing what other people are doing and using their content that they've already developed. And that's the purpose of that group. Um, I'm going to ask you a question that's, I, I hope it doesn't trigger you, but it's just, because uh, uh, I know you'll give a good answer to it. What about someone, and you may have heard this, that says, and you've said this isn't a phase that just says, hey, you know, you just got kind of confused along the way here. You, you know, have atypical girl interests. You like football. That doesn't, you know, you just, and then you got in a really affirming group that really just validated how you feel. And you're just kind of confused or in a phase. And this isn't really who you are. And I, I so genderly, because t- I don't want to trigger you, but I'd love you just to answer that for anybody that's thinking that way, because maybe somebody is. And you've already sort yeah. of answered that in the podcast, so I think you've done a great job. But anything else you want to add? I think that, and I can't say this for everyone, but I think that the, I think before somebody has the courage to come out, there is that question in their head already. They already ask, "Am I really gay?" And I think that you know, if not all, but like a lot, people start with that in their head already, and so. To me, it's like where if they come to a point where they were able to come out, whether or not it was an affirming group or not, you never really know how someone will react. And so I think that I would say that person has already thought of it. I certainly did. I thought of it for years, right? It was, am I really gay? And I think that you need to trust, like I said, you need to trust that person to know what they're thinking. Because I don't think I've ever met anybody who has come out just flippantly, just like on the fly, like, Hey, I'm gay. Like I just think that it, you know, coming out takes a lot of introspection and 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 thought. And so I think that those people are misunderstanding the intent and the amount of work behind coming out and into coming to that conclusion and into that space. And so I would just, you know, ask them, you know, to trust those people that they, even if they end up not being gay or queer or whatever and they they have um the conclusion that they're not like they had originally thought i think that everyone has the right to reserve that space where they can change or you know we're continually evolving and so if i one day say oh you know i'm not i'm not gay or whatever but i'm you know bi or whatever i i would hope that others realize that I am continually changing and gathering new information about myself. Um, and so that's, that's what I would just say. Great answer. And I think, you know, as allies or family members walking this road with you, we should just trust you and we shouldn't <laughs> hope or pray or sort of create an agenda where we're going to undo this somehow. Um, right. We just walk with you and trust you and honor you and be a safe place for you. And, and I think we tr- are pretty good about not doing this, you know, compared to 10 years ago. We don't try to create some backstory that something happened that went wrong here. I think you've done a really good right. job of, of teaching us that this is just who I am. I really feel strongly that everybody, everybody's gender identity or sexual orientation should be on the same moral footing. We're all created as we're intended to be creative listeners. I don't think that changes doctrine or policy. It puts everybody on the same moral footing. 
it hopefully eliminates the gay jokes and just sees us as the same children of loving heavenly parents. But that moral footing, if we can create that, and you've done that internally, but if as a community we can create that with the conversations, the culture we're creating at church, I think it helps people take away the shame and to realize that their heavenly parents love them. And I don't think that then um, causes people to make worse decisions. I think it helps them make better decisions because they feel like, just like you've come to conclusion, that was a big part of your podcast where I can be who I am, which mm-hmm. is, and I can have God in my life. And then I think you just do better in your life as you're obviously sharing with listeners and you've been deeply spiritual in this whole journey. You've referenced, you know, your journey with the church kind of indirectly of attending the temple and mission prep and going to church in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And you're doing just a terrific job on this road, but I also, you know, listeners, some would say, well, there's more people that are identifying as gay in 2022 than there were 40 years ago. And isn't that a sign that of society going downhill or Satan confusing his people? And I think this is a podcast to help us. I think there were people like you 20 years ago or 40 years ago um, in just the same number. This is my hypothesis, but there's just, there's enough. ability for the culture to make it so um, there's friends responding the way and and you're able to sort of address this your potential internalized homophobia at a much earlier age and come out to friends and family and and parents so i i think that's my any thoughts on that no i completely agree and yeah i think it's just you know we're in this space now with our culture where it is more accepted and there is more um, way, ways to, to find how you can, you know, um, build your place. And the, I, I guess I want to be careful about comparing this, but to me, it's like people might say, oh, well, there, there's um, more people who have, I don't know, like a, a certain disability now than there is in the past. But to me, I would say, I think there has always been this amount, but really it's just we now have the tools to diagnose, to explain, to, to create names for these experiences. And so I don't think at all that there was less people who were queer or part of the LGBTQ community. I think that there was less ways to, um, like label and to educate and, and to find your space. There just wasn't that talk about it. And so now that there is, people are able to, you know, um, choose, uh, ways to identify or um, like words to explain their experience better. I agree with that. And, uh, you know, listeners, I've kind of said this in a lot of podcasts recently, but I've just thought, and I think my list, my guest today is doing this and is really very close to the finish line, but I think you need to become your best personal self um, before you sort of, um, figure out what core fork in the road is best for you. You've kind of talked about these forks in the road. You've taken suicide off the table and you've been honest about depression, but um, I think you have enough hope in your future that, and that you're going to be okay. Um, so both of us would invite you to do everything you can to take suicide. And if you are suicidal, please reach out to the appropriate people, but that can creep into the life of um, queer Latter-day Saints as they're sort of overwhelmed with you know, either being celibate for the next 50, 60, 70 years or being in a 
just those roads seem really difficult. So I, I just think you need to be your very best personal self um, before you need to make these forks in the road. And knowing, not knowing how that's going to work out for you can create anxiety now. But I think I just try to put that, push that down the road and said, I'm going to become my very best personal self, however you're defining that. And, and to me, that's the relationship with your heavenly father, um, the savior's ability to heal your broken heart, not change your orientation, but heal your broken heart. We know that Christ descended below all things. So I think he understands the road each of us walk. You can kind of go there with us um, and invite him to go there with us. And, um, Come out to family and friends. So you've got a support group that's walking this road with you. And you've done a really good job. A caution. Um, this isn't directed at my guests, but if you're out younger, um, you are going to get some nefarious characters potentially in your life that are going to reach out to you. And they may, and if you're vulnerable and you're looking for connection, you may be taken advantage of. So you've got to kind of develop boundaries, and I think you've done a good job of this. But if you're younger and you're starting to come out and you're on social media, you've got to, you know, there may be some people that want to take advantage of you. <laughs> I'm sort of assuming they're all older. They may be even your age. You've just got to, you've got to sort of have some boundaries there, especially if you're in a real vulnerable place where you're you're looking for someone to validate who you are and and you're very vulnerable, then you are more likely to sort of be taken advantage of. So that's just, it's not really advice from my guest because my guest is in a pretty good spot, but it's just advice for probably even, you know, just anybody that's coming out at a younger age um, to keep yourself safe. Any thoughts on that? Any advice you'd give to fellow younger people in that space? Yeah, I think, yeah, like you said, the, the biggest thing I feel like is it's the same thing as they teach a lot in church is you're careful with who you surround yourself with. So, you know, I would just encourage others to take that same advice. And when you're looking for people to connect with and for people um, as your support group, you know, use the same judgment. Who do you want to surround yourself with? Um, Cause in the end you sort of take one traits of other people as you're with them. And so, yeah, for sure. Like when, when you are creating your support system, you know, choose people who help you make good decisions and, and who help you be your best self. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? No, just thank you so much for having me on here. And I, I really hope that I was able to share something that someone needed to hear. And tell our listeners again how they connect with your Instagram account. We'll put it in the show notes, but go ahead and verbally just say it. Yeah, so it's um, at two all the latter day gay. So it's two underscore all underscore the underscore latter day underscore gaze. All right, listeners. Um, thank you. My guest has been joining me from Zoom. Terrific. Um, thank you. Be fun to see your life over the next, just have a great life ahead of you. And this was a terrific podcast. So this is Richard Osser and my guest signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>